everyone, and welcome to Empowering Homeschool Conversations. Thank you for joining us. Um, we are excited to be talking again. We're, this whole month, we've been talking about child behavior, but today we're going to talk about child behavior specifically related to learning. And uh, my guest tonight is Dr. Aditya Negreth. Did I say that last name right, too? I guess I asked you how to say your first name. <laughs> McGrath. McGrath. Okay. Well, welcome. I'm so glad that you're with us tonight. I know you said that this was something that um, you were thinking about talking about or, or um, developing some lessons on for families that come to you for help. And um, so I'm just excited to hear what you have to share with us tonight because I can't tell you that if there's ever been one parent who said, oh, yes, my child cooperates with me all the time and we've never had a meltdown. <laughs> I don't think that's ever happened. <laughs> so, um, so definitely some wisdom that we could use. And I see we have some viewers popping on. Thank you for joining us tonight. Um, this broadcast is put on by Sped Homeschool. We are a nonprofit that helps parents to homeschool children with uh, extraordinary learning needs uh, or just unique learners in general. And so um, thank you for um, tuning in. This is a weekly broadcast that we do. And um, like I said, we've been talking about child behavior this month. And, um, well, Dr. Didia, um, I would just love for our audience to just kind of get to know you a little bit um, as we get started. And um, just tell us about you, your organization, and kind of the reason behind which, why you do what you do. And, um, and then we can kind of dive into questions from there. And um, if you're watching, definitely put in the feed where you're from, um, comments, questions, and we will build those into our conversation. So, so yes, welcome again. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so exciting. Well, let me tell you a little bit about my background. Um, I started uh, programming computers when I was maybe uh, 13 years old, mm. 12, 13 years old. And um, I went to the University of Denver. I got a PhD in math and computer science, and that's where that led. Um, the focus was in mathematics because uh, uh, when I got into grad school, I uh, chose to focus in mathematics. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, basically from there, I started a contract software engineering firm. So after I graduated, mm -hmm. um, we started doing projects for customers like uh, Digidata, Telefonica in Spain, uh, Verizon, Pearson. Um, I can't even remember them all. That was a different life. <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> I've got one of those too. <laughs> <laughs> and then in 2016, uh, we decided that we would make a shift. And um, that came from a, a, a conversation that I had with one of my professors and what he had uh, explained to me was that um, children entering kindergarten uh, enter unprepared for the kindergarten curriculum at the rate of about four mm -hmm. out of five students. And it happens completely uh, amongst income lines, uh, meaning it's that the mm -hmm. lowest income earners that, uh, whose students are furthest behind, and it's the top 20% income earners that actually enter prepared. And uh, when I asked him why that might be, uh, what he said was that um, the top 20% income earners can afford to send their children to preschool. And in preschool, they ensure that the child is uh, prepared for kindergarten. Um, but what this ends up causing is a gap in understanding the teacher. So like mm -hmm. what children are learning at that age is primarily language. And so what ends up happening is 
children go from kindergarten to first grade to second grade. And there's not really a lot of holding them back if they don't get it. And a lot of it is also designed to get them to be able to just do it. Can you do the procedures, for example? Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. So without that understanding of the language, what ends up happening is that uh, 75% of high school students are not proficient in high school mathematics. We lose most students around algebra and mm-hmm. uh, or even before fractions, decimals and percentages is, you know, yes. maybe 50, 60 mm-hmm. percent. Half of Americans report math anxiety. Almost half of first and second graders report math anxiety. So it's happening as early as first and second grade mm-hmm. because you can't understand the teacher. If you don't understand. Right. You're going to be anxious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what we did was we decided to pull together the, the latest research in uh, early education science, as well as um, powerful algorithms that are able to help us understand very quickly what children understand, do not understand. Hmm. And um, the result is, is on average, we were able to teach a year and a half of math over the course of 10 weeks uh, when students are using it about 30 minutes per week. And we've seen that happen over and over again uh, in classroom settings, but we sell directly to parents. Uh, Hmm. One of our big markets is homeschool and uh, we help the student understand the parent in the homeschool situation so that the parent is always communicating at the student's level, which is what the homeschool parent wants to do anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And that helps avoid the math anxiety because if the student Mm. understands, then you don't have the anxiety. Yeah. I I love that you talk about anxiety because there's kids don't talk about, I'm anxious about this. It comes out in a lot different ways. (laughs) And like we're talking about tonight is those, those meltdowns and um, those frustrations. And that's what we see. And then we, as parents don't interpret it though, as anxiety, we interpret it as a whole lot of other things. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? And just, um, you know, making that, I guess, making that mental switch because, you know, we're, we're so set on, well, I just, I got to get this information into you. And we become anxious too when our kids start to struggle. So it's like a, <laughs> it compounds on itself. Yeah. Well, I mean, like half the problem is, is that like the, the word that we use around mathematics, especially for younger age children, mm-hmm. is just kind of uh, non-descriptive, right? So. Okay. Yeah. And the descriptive words that we can use are potentially not understandable for the, the student. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, for mathematics, it's kind of like teaching the colors where like uh, when you were teaching your student the colors, you showed them red things like a red mm-hmm. truck, a red ball. Right. And then they had to learn through inference that what you were speaking about was right. the color of the object. Mm-hmm. With mathematics, it's slightly harder. They have to see it. They have to feel it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's the quantity that we're speaking about, right? And right. the, the yeah. operations that you can do with the quantities, like give mm-hmm. me five, give mm-hmm. me four. So they have to have those experiences because when you write it on the piece of paper, five plus four, um, yeah. it's very abstract, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. if you don't have the underlying understanding of it, um, then yeah, I mean, this is where this is where the anxiety starts, right? Mm -hmm. That underlying understanding. And then the frustration from the parent, because like, if you're trying to explain it to the student or the child and uh, they're not getting it, then maybe that means something about you and the way you're explaining. But 
honestly, yeah. most of the time, if I'm like, if sometimes you try to explain something to a five-year-old and you just don't have different words. So it's not <laughs> right. really anything to be frustrated <laughs> about. It's just, it's just re- repetition until they finally pick up the inference. Yes. Yeah. And I, I love that you talk about, you know, math with different words, because I, I remember my own children getting frustrated because I would change the words instead of saying add, I would, would use plus or, you know, a different word. And all of those words mean the same thing. And yet sometimes, especially like for kids on the spectrum, they, the one word means one thing. And then, you know, to, to expand it out, well, this word means the same thing. Well, that like blows, (laughs) you know, the whole understanding out of the water. Um, So do you um, prescribe sticking with scripts or just using a variety of things until it all kind of comes together? Well, so what we, what we try to do is we try to approach things from the different uh, representations uh, that you would use for, for, for the numbers. So for example, the number line, uh, objects, et cetera. And we put them onto the screen. Sometimes we arrange them into five grid. So working with your younger children on that basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, doing the same thing for more, uh, advanced subjects like multiplication division, right? So like, right. uh, we would do it through groups or through lines. So like we have, okay groups of six objects and we have four groups of six objects. Mm-hmm. How many do we have? Um, or we have rows of six objects and we have four rows. Mm-hmm. And what we specifically do in our system is we, we time them because uh, students can learn to count very, very quickly. We've seen students count. <laughs> yeah, they, can, like, they can bypass the system <laughs> that you're trying to get them to work with. Yes. Right. And <laughs> we need to make, sense. get them to make the leap over to actually mm-hmm. using multiplication to solve the problem. So at some point, right, like we show it to them, we let them count it, we, we start to get give them the idea, but then at some point we start timing it, we start shutting the curtains so that they just have enough time to count the number of rows. And then it's like, oh, okay, so there's four rows of six objects, so four times six, 24. Mm-hmm. So getting them to make that leap's important. Now, if they've already memorized the... Um, the tables mm-hmm. and, and they're counting and you see them counting in a situation like this, uh, a nice little trick is you can say, well, what is four times six? And hopefully they make that connection between, Oh, okay. I get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Because there sometimes is a disconnect when you That's see right. a picture between <laughs> what you've memorized. Um, that, that is so true. I never it's thought a, about that. It's associating yes. the uh-huh. operation to what's physically happening. Mm-hmm. And then well, once I they've abstracted that. it, now you can have mm-hmm. more complicated conversations like, oh, let's talk about hundreds or thousands, or et cetera. But right. they need to have that, that base concrete understanding representation underneath it at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we, we miss that too often in mathematics, especially as we, we just want to, to drill it and get it in. And then we don't think about later on how that's going to affect later understanding of those operations when they get more complicated. Um, There is a focus on trying to get the answer correct. mm -hmm. And that's kind of one of the main things for this particular topic is that this idea of correct or incorrect 
it might turn into right or wrong. And there's a slight difference, right? Because like there's an emotion associated kind of wrong that, Mm -hmm. that like you want to have a healthy, uh, attitude towards, right? So like Uh the way we talk about in our system is kind of like a basketball hoop. So the, the child has to take the shot. Uh, Mm -hmm. the parent can't take the shot for the child. So they actually have to think about the problem and play with it. Mm Mm-hmm. And if the ball doesn't go in, well, the ball doesn't go in. So now if it was basketball and the parent watched the ball not go in, what are you going to say? You're going to say, try again. Even if the child's getting frustrated. But if it's mathematics and the ball doesn't go in, well, we think that somehow we can force it in, right? By, by oh, well, here, memorize this technique. Or, or like, I'm just going to force you to memorize these tables so that you can put the ball in every time. But you're right, right? Without that underlying understanding, it actually ends up being useless. And this is actually like the worst part about it because um, if you don't have the understanding of what multiplication is and you just memorize the tables and then you get to algebra and you see four times X, what does that mean? Right, yeah. That's that's an even bigger leap to make than the, the leap that the child would make in understanding the multiplication tables in the first place. Absolutely. And the word problems are the way that we can determine if the student has the understanding. Mm -hmm. But even then, because we tend to be focused on uh, getting the ball in the hoop, we give them the mnemonic to solve the word problem, which then we don't know if they actually understand or they're using the mnemonic. But, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's really the thing, is that in real life, when the problem shows up on your doorstep, there's more numbers and there is no mnemonic. You just have to realize, oh, these are the two multiple numbers I got to multiply together in order to figure out whatever problem I'm trying to solve. Well, and yeah, that that makes you make a really good point because, you know, when we we teach children things that we don't realize that what what we're teaching for is that the, so they can apply it. And instead of just answering the workbook pages and it, it more than just math, just anything that we teach that it's going to be applied when we teach them spelling, they're going to be writing and they're going to be spelling and, you know, all these other things. And that can lead to huge frustration if all we're doing is teaching for the, that singular output instead of that multiple faceted output. Um, but so, so my question is for you then as a parent who you know, and, and you work with parents, how do you get them beyond that, that, <laughs> I, you know, it was ingrained in us because we were taught that way. Um, how do you explain to parents, it's okay if things get, you know, they don't get it right, right away. And, and that, you know, kind of getting them beyond <laughs> that, that worksheet mentality. Well, I mean, it is challenging because um, parents kind of have like an inbuilt motivation to kind of own the the child's emotions. Mm. And so like we feel like if the child is having an emotion that we don't agree with, uh, which is kind of really the ultimate thing about it, right? right. I don't want you to feel sad or frustrated mm. or upset mm. or angry. Um, so if they're having an emotion that we don't agree with now, we're going to try to treat that like a fire and put it out. And, mm-hmm. um, 
And that's ultimately uh, the worst response you can provide. And the reason why yeah. is because it teaches the student that you own their emotions. So they also now start to pick up that you are responsible for their emotions. And, mm -hmm. you know, so you, you hear a lot of that, like, um, you know, when I was growing up and also like, you know, on movies, etc. like you watch teenagers or young mm -hmm. adults and they want to blame their parents for their emotions. Right. Now, the reason why this becomes even more dangerous is because with emotions, if you do not process it and somehow like it gets stuck, right? That's mm -hmm. what the PTSD is, potentially speaking, right? Like yeah. you don't have a chance to process the emotion or what's happening around you. So you never really accept it, but then you're, you're reliving that emotion yes. throughout mm -hmm. the rest of your life. So when you combine those two aspects together, right? Mm -hmm. You don't own your emotions, but I'm going to repeatedly, repeatedly feel things that are wrong. And so therefore mm -hmm. I also feel wrong, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is a path that kind of leads to, you know, what people would call mental illness or maybe mm -hmm. suicidal thoughts or et, et cetera. Right. And I mean, right. when we look at, you know, kind of this next generation, the millennial generation, and we see kind of how it's coming together. Mm -hmm. It kind of makes sense mm -hmm. because we've been picking up their emotions the entire time. The whole, I'm going to give them a trophy, whether they want or not, yeah. is that, right? I don't want you to yeah. feel bad. Here's a trophy. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that the opportunity to fail is, is so important. Well, the, to be the failure is the opportunity. That's, that's the real thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So now mm -hmm. if instead of owning the student's emotions, right? Mm -hmm. We let them know it's completely okay to be frustrated when the ball doesn't go in, right? If it was basketball, that's what you'd say. Yeah, sometimes oh, yeah. I'm frustrated if I don't make mm -hmm. it. Right. Then uh, we get the opportunity to have them shoot again. From a coaching perspective, that's what you want. Go ahead and give it another shot. Mm -hmm. Maybe you give them a hint. Maybe you give them the why method. That's something we teach. So that's like... Um, you, you let them answer incorrectly and you ask them why they think that's the right answer. And when they tell you why, you're going to understand what they don't understand. Right. And now you're going to be able to clarify the language. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so getting, yeah, getting them that help helps. But then at the same time, right, teaching them that within the failure is actually the opportunity for success right because it's like right. uh, the meme of thomas edison going around uh yeah. on facebook uh -huh. where they're like uh i didn't i didn't uh i don't remember exactly how it goes but i i found a thousand different ways not to make a light bulb before i made a light bulb which is right the, the exactly. kind of point of it yeah. yeah but it was every every time was a learning experience and every time was a learning experience mm -hmm. yes and we have we have lost that art as a society. So I'm glad you, you pointed that out. Well, again, if the emotions around being wrong mm -hmm. are, are bad or wrong or right, that that's, mm -hmm. you're not supposed to feel that. Well, then I'm not going to do this again. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. You either get it perfect the first time or... <laughs> and I think we, we think that we can teach kids how to be perfect at something. And yet you're kind of flipping it the other way and saying, we need to encourage kids to learn. And so that they, they understand what they're learning. They don't just have another fact in their brain. They have to accept, uh, they have to accept that they're not perfect. I mean, mm -hmm. every perfectionist kind of ultimately has to do that too. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> or, or else you, you suffer the consequences. Of could be a heart attack. Could be. <laughs> yeah. Later on in life. And yes, exactly. So, yeah. But, um, so, you know, as far as parents go, then, you know, with, with trying to, to help kids, um, what are some healthy alternatives, um, for responding when, when we see kids getting frustrated and then not doing what we usually do, <laughs> like we just talked about. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of it is, is personal work. Uh, mm -hmm. So, like, a lot of it is when the child is having the emotion, well, that doesn't mean anything about me or to me, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And then at that point in time, you're able to kind of look at the situation from a more logical perspective Accept what's going on. Okay, what happened here? They're frustrated. They're frustrated at the software or they're frustrated at their homework or their whatever, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, but now the conversation is, is, is going to become more natural, especially if the parent understands that it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be frustrated with your homework mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what I tell my, my, my child. I mean, he's only five, but. Mm -hmm. Um, like sometimes he's crying. I say, well, you know what? It's okay to cry. Mm -hmm. And That's I'll be honest with you, like maybe 50% of the time he might stop right away. <laughs> sometimes it's, sometimes it's a little bit more traumatic or dramatic. Yes, or yes. However you want to call it. But <laughs> right. <laughs> about half the time he's like, oh, okay. Well, then I'm good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and so that's interesting, you know, that if that's how you, you handle it in your home, yet he still uses that emotion grabbing um, technique yeah. that I think every child does. And as a parent, we, we really have to reflect that is um, what you're talking about and, and allow them well, to, to see As it. human beings, it's important for us to all realize that we all have emotions, right? Even mm -hmm. adults throw a, a tantrum. It doesn't look the same way, <laughs> right. but every now and then we... We just kind of flip out and nothing, nothing makes sense to everyone else sort of story, you know? Right. So, like, you got to expect that's going to happen to the child. But more than that, I mean, when children are born, they, they have to cry to get our attention. And because they don't have the capability to own their own uh, uh, well-being, mm -hmm. right, we actually have to take care of them. So the crying and the, the response to the crying... It makes a lot of sense. It's just yeah, yeah. determining when it's time to let go of that. And right, mm -hmm. the sooner you do it, the better. But of course, they, they're going to have learned that, yeah, like these emotions or these noises, oh, they garner point. the attention of the yes. parent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of a weaning process. 
that um, we have to wean ourselves off as well as our children. We have to wean ourselves <laughs> off because because that's our natural response is is to to kind of placate that that um, that grabbing that they they have. Um, I mean, heck, us. if I'm thinking about something else, my child could ask me something here. Just I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, I mean, it, you're right. It's natural, right? It's just, it's instinctive almost. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, but if we want them, you know, looking long-term then, you know, we want them to not need us. And so, you know, this process that you're talking about is, is helping them to be self-sufficient in their, their life, but also in their learning. And, and that's really important as we, you know, we talk to a lot of parents, they're like, well, when can my child be self-directed in learning? And I think we just kind of expect it to happen overnight, but, um, yeah, just, just in, in trying to process everything that you shared, it, it is, it is a letting go process and it's retraining of us as well as them on how to do that. Yeah. It's a lot of work, but, and, and but here's the other thing is you don't have to be perfect with it. Right? I mean, I just told you I'm not perfect with it. Oh yeah. I'm not either. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, as, as long as you're, as long as you're moving in the right direction and the child is showing ownership and you're handing over ownership, mm-hmm. well, you're building a healthy and happy human being. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. It's, it, it, it's progress in the right direction. Definitely. Um, that's, that's important. So, um, do you have any research or stories to share with us about, you know, just helping children to, to understand, you know, their, their own struggles, but also just in this, this change of, um, I guess it's, it's, it's a mental shift in, in how, how to learn, um, especially for parents who have been teaching it the other way. <laughs> and then their child is, is still struggling. And, and so how do you, ex- you know, explain that to the child? Um, and then, do you have any any stories to share with families that have overcome that? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think what you're saying is you you want to understand how to kind of make the shift from working on mathematics almost as a, a, a how do I do it to do I understand? Is, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and how do you how do you get your child to make that shift? I think as parents, we can say, "No, I'm going to teach it this way," and then to just get the child to, to, to make that, Oh, well, this doesn't make any sense now. Cause I, this is the way I was programmed to learn. Okay. So then, so now it's like maybe a, an older student, right? The younger student may not have that, that problem as much because right. you get to create that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the problem is, is that we do kind of get the students into a, how do you do it mode? Right. So where they're asking the question, how do I solve this? Right. And it's less about how do I solve it than do I understand what it says? Mm-hmm. And, and if I did understand what it says, well, then how do I solve it becomes a little bit clearer. Um, right. Yes. Because you're going a layer deeper. That's than right. Just the answer. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, it really is kind of about making it concrete uh, for <laughs> Older students, like middle school, like when you're moving into algebra, something really interesting starts to happen is 
there's two or three things that start to happen. And this is probably very helpful specifically for homeschool, because if the, the, the homeschool parent is paying attention to this, then they're going to see it happen. So like in the elementary uh, type grades uh, for mathematics, we're kind of working on definition. It's what are the numbers? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is addition? What is subtraction? What is multiplication? What is division? Fractions, decimals, percentages. Mm-hmm. And fractions, decimal percentages are uh, particularly confusing because we start using the, the same numerals in a different fashion, and it means a completely different thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but if you're approaching it from the perspective of a language, mm-hmm. then you're explaining to your child that, yeah, by the way, uh, we're just going to change all the rules all of a sudden, and we're going to use these numbers in a different way, and it means something different. But that's good then, because now they come in knowing that it means something different, hopefully knowing what it means. Um, but even for fractions, decimals, and percentages, we, we do it with quantities, we do it on the line, and we do it with area. So we, we do three different representations of the proportionality so they yeah. can start to get the yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that broader picture. Now, when they move into algebra, what happens is, is that some of the nomenclature that we used before starts to become more rigid. So, for example, the equal sign is where a lot of students have a lot of problems. Hmm. What does the equal sign mean? It means that the quantity on the left is the same as the quantity as the right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, whereas in elementary school, you might write four times seven equals. So some students get the idea that equal means evaluate. Yes. Yes. And that's, yep. So then that adds to the confusion adds to the confusion when you get into algebra right now the other part about it is that so now we're being more rigid about what do the symbols mean but it is a symbol on a piece of paper so i have to define that to you there's nothing innate about this a lot of people might start to think well you don't get this it must mean something about you there's nothing innate about it and that's really Mm. another important key um, but then the next thing is, and this is what we do, uh, is we start to say that actually, because now you're using a written language to communicate mathematics, mathematics in a more rigid fashion, mm-hmm. um, there are true things you can say, and there are false things you can say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have to be aware of that. So for, from the elephant learning perspective, we treat, uh, at least the introduction to algebra as a game where the student is identifying what's true and what's not true based on what we've written and based on the definitions on the written symbols that we're giving them. Uh, okay. So then they're able to distinguish that. And, and again, it's back to what you were talking about before is that they get the deeper understanding of it. It's not just uh, let's plug in numbers and run through the algorithm and then work like a computer and spit it out. (laughs) Right. So, yeah. It's more about understanding what was written there and then determining, does it make sense and et cetera. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, what's nice about this then is that like, it becomes less about how do I solve about X? So like, Mm -hmm. this is why we're able to move faster because if we get you that conceptual understanding, well, I can move on to the next concept. Whereas the school, they want you to pass the test. So, Here's thousands of addition problems or thousands of solve for X problems. Well, okay. Now, by the end of the year, you know how to solve for X, at least from a procedural standpoint, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but only with 
the certain instances that you you've done and and that yeah and i mean it gives you a broader range the more problems you do but, There's different techniques yeah. that they teach, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, you get X by itself, for example. And then there's different tricks that you might encounter. But I, I also don't get the feeling that a lot of students understand that's what's happening. I think they're trying to do the same thing that they were doing in elementary school. It's like, I got to memorize when to apply this mnemonic. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. And that's yeah. why we lose most of the students right there. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've never thought about it that way. I have a degree in physics, so <laughs> I did a lot of math, and and it's it was interesting that you know I that's how I handled math. It was it was that, and then my son who just got a degree in engineering showed me you know when he was going through more complex math, he's like, well, if you put it in Excel, it'll graph it, and this is what it is, and I was like. Oh! That's what it is. You know, here's me. I have, I took every college level math class up through, you know, four years of college. And it's like, I still didn't understand that concept. I, I just kind of, you know, plug the numbers in and, um, and you can do that, but you, it doesn't you can mean do, I did that too. I mean, that's the whole thing. I got a PhD in math and, you know, I didn't even think about it differently until I spoke to the professor five years back mm-hmm. when he started telling me all this. I was like, actually, what you're saying makes sense. Yeah. And that actually leads yeah. to the next really important point, right? Mm-hmm. A student can't understand the next idea unless they understand the first idea. So, so like, and this happens everywhere. So, like, for example, uh, I'm going to give you, like, a non-math example just for fun. Yeah, it, yeah, definitely. Um, like my wife asked me to say something to my son and he was like outside. So mm-hmm. I went out there and I told it to him and he started to like reject it. He's like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, well, look, I'm just the emissary. <laughs> and I know he doesn't know what this word is. Exactly. <laughs> but I look it up. Uh, so I looked it up and Siri said, well, it's a diplomat who is working on a government mission for some blah, 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 blah. And at this point, I'm giving up because I'm going to have to explain to him what a diplomat is. I'm going to have to explain to him what a government is. I'm going to have to, right? So like, but the same thing is true. You can't understand what an emissary is unless you know about diplomats and government and, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, it, it, and like you were talking about earlier, you know, the, the more complex math that we get into and the, the less, the, when we don't go back and start this from the beginning, then we're just compiling the misunderstanding and the frustration and and the meltdowns. They just happen because there's there's just so many disconnects there that we I, I'd be emotional too. I mean <laughs> think about it. I if you or I went to a third year biochem course, right? Mm-hmm. We'd get up and walk out. We wouldn't understand anything the professor was saying because we missed three years of jargon that we didn't learn. Right. Yeah. But you can't get up and walk out of third grade. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. And unfortunately, when we remediate, we don't go back to understanding. We just go on to drilling and trying to get. I I spoke to uh, a a superintendent in, uh, I think it was uh, Illinois, that. he said, yeah, you know what we do with the students in fifth grade that um, are behind is we just teach them the same materials, but slower. Oh. And, and now that I'm talking, right, this is literally what he said. He said, now that I'm talking to you and you've explained this to me, 
what you're saying makes absolute sense. It's just street smarts. It's, you don't need a PhD to understand. If you don't get addition, you don't get multiplication. There's no way you can understand multiplication without addition. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we just, but we just teach the same kids the same thing slower. So I don't know if they changed it. That was like five years ago. I'm by now. I'm sure he switched hope the stuff. So. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but that's what our system was designed to do. That's that's the beautiful part about elephant learning is that we start out behind the student trying to catch up to them to find their level. So mm-hmm. like we just come in and and then we find out what that level of understanding is, and then we start building them from there. Now, suppose they have a gap. So suppose they have a gap maybe in the third grade, but they're at the fifth grade level. The wonderful part about it is they still had all of those experiences between first and fifth grade. Right. Yes. So if we fill that one gap, well, guess what? They just jump straight back to the, to the next gap is what they do is they just start floating right up to the next gap. So we see students that are recovering. We're in two, three, four years of mathematics within three or four months. Yeah. 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 I, I saw the same thing happen with my son with reading. Um, he he didn't get the phonics. It just it didn't click, and the understanding wasn't there. And it just took a really long time. And so I didn't want to frustrate him by just only doing that. So I gave him audiobooks. And, you know, he was picking up the literature, and he was picking up, you know, the nuances of the sentence structures through these things. And when we, we had to do um, more... Um, standardized testing every year in the state that we lived in then. And one year he was a non-reader and the next year he was reading at college level. Wow. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It was amazing. But, you know, we kept working on all those other things. It's just that that phonics, you know, the understanding didn't click. So what what you're saying is it, it is so true. You know, you just have to get those gaps of understanding filled and and they can make incredible strides in any subject. But again, it's the, the reading, the writing, and the math. Those are the basics of, of all learning. And um, we've got to get those right. And we have to make sure that our kids understand them. So I love that. Um, all right. The research shows, actually, that children that do more math, they end up being better writers, readers, and speakers um, mm. than students that do less. There's a lot of reasons as to why that could be. It's just... It's just a correlation that they found. Yeah. Did you have any insight on why you think that's true? So when I asked the professor why that's true, he said that um, he he said that doing math is sort of like doing uh, mental gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, mm-hmm. um, for example, when you have to produce 10 items, so you slide over 10 and you stop at 10, you have to hold 10 in your head in order to remember to stop on 10. Oh, so you're working in memory too, yes. Mm-hmm. And so I could see that, but the other reason that we could determine was that, um, you know, there, the, the, the numeracy problem, there's like books on this, right? Hmm. Where uh, societally, we're like, well, math is maybe not that important. Or when am I ever going to use this? Which, I mean, uh, the answer is almost yeah. every day if you know it. Right. Um, but it's... It's that sort of a thing that like starts to erode the integrity of mm-hmm. the one subject. Mm-hmm. But once the integrity of the one subject's eroded, well then, you know, like, I mean, what they say is, I'm not a math person. Uh, I'm not a social studies person either. And I'm not a, I'm not a history person. And I'm not a gym person. Right. So like mm-hmm. you now have kind of the excuse to, you know, not succeed at anything. Right. 
Well, in math, too, involves so much like puzzle solving and and logic and an understanding of of how to get from one point to another. And life is all about that. It might not involve numbers, but we still apply that on a consistent basis in, in a lot of things that we do. And and it makes a lot of sense what you're talking about is that, you know, if we don't practice these things mentally, that our life application, like you were talking about before, um, is going to suffer and we'll suffer for our kids. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a, the, the way it permeates is just everywhere. So like now that like uh, business is so digitally driven, it's very numerically driven too, right? We're keeping mm-hmm. score on everything. So like, if you don't, have a good uh, grasp of what the numbers mean and how it all works out and like very quick ability to just look at two things and say, well, you, if I divide those two numbers, I got, you know, this kind of a ratio, like it's close to 50%, it's close to 30% sort of thing, mm-hmm. right? In order to quickly just kind of get an understanding of what you're looking at, right? Because like I look at marketing data now a lot, right? So mm-hmm. like marketing's very traditional business. Mm-hmm. It's all, uh, it's all about the numbers. It's all about whether you can get the algorithms to, to, to track mm-hmm. and to, to, to find out who is your target customer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we all know right. what Facebook and Google and mm-hmm. all these guys are doing. So, yeah. And then if you're one of the people that work for those companies, I mean, gosh, then you got to know math, right? You're mm-hmm. literally writing the algorithm. Right. Yes, exactly. That's so true. And yeah, we've, we forget that I, I think, yeah, like you said, there's, there's just so much pressure on the, the linguistics and the language and, um, and the, the social aspects of, of our culture. And yet when we lose that math, we use, we lose so much. From that. And here's the ultimate impact is that what we see is 69% of STEM majors switch to a major with less math. And now we see, almost the same ratio of business majors Mm -hmm. switching out because it's so statistically driven. So the Mm -hmm. students kind of end up in the humanities at that point. And Mm -hmm. it's not such a bad thing offhand, but like from a, from a perspective of the, the average salary is lower than national average. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, children are getting duped into going to a four year college thinking that they're going to go in, maybe get a physics major, maybe get a, bio major, something like that, something where they think they're going to come out and earn hundreds of thousands of dollars. They come out with an English degree or a graphics design degree, and they're probably closer to 50 or $60,000. So like, I mean, that's a big, that's a big pill to swallow. I mean, especially, especially in this country, we tell children growing up that you can grow up to be anything you want. You can grow up to be president if you want. And the truth is, is we never really gave them the shot because it was over at kindergarten. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it all, yeah, it all circles back to their understanding and versus just the, the methodology that um, we were talking about earlier. Um, that's, that's a sobering fact to think about. Um, and, and I've seen the trends too. I know um, yeah, it's, it's why we do what we do. Our only mission is to empower children with mathematics. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So as we're wrapping up, can you, you tell us a little bit more about elephant learning and just how our audience can find you? And um, yeah, that'd be great. Yes. Well, right now you can do everything via web. You just go to elephantlearning.com, sign up there. We do support iOS, Android, Amazon, Kindle. We have apps on those stores, uh, but everything works through Chrome and Safari as well. We built it for web. I mean, we basically thought this has to run everywhere. So we mm-hmm. made it run everywhere. And um, it's delivered as a gamification. Um, and by the way, like the reports that we give you has teacher training. So what we would be giving mm-hmm. to That's teachers awesome. as continuing education in college you're getting for your student right at their level, you're getting the videos for the subjects that they're actually learning right now. So for homeschool, this is a no brainer because like between the reports that we're giving you with all of the data, the playtime analysis, the history Mm -hmm. and the gamification and the fact that we are effective in just 10 minutes a day, you could just start your day with 10 minutes of elephant learning. Mm -hmm. Look at the reports while they're doing something and then tailor your math activities to their current level right after that. Yeah. So, so my, (laughs) I know a lot of long-term homeschoolers who are going to say, well, this just isn't enough. I need a curriculum to prove that I'm doing math. What do you have to say to them? (laughs) Well, so there's a lot of curriculums out there. And the best part is, is that we pair with all of them. So like, I mean, the idea is, is that it doesn't matter necessarily the methodology that the curriculum is using. So a lot of people might ask me also, what's a good curriculum? We recommend Singapore because it does... Yeah, Yeah, it Mm -hmm. it does give you that concrete conceptual stuff. But like, really, what we're saying is that like, hey, even if your child was in school with Common Core, if they understand the idea, and then they walk into that classroom, they're now going to understand the teacher. And so the methodology that the teacher is teaching, the students going to understand as well, because they understand why the methodology works, they understand what's happening underneath. So that's why we built it this way. We are that, we are the thing that fills the gap for the education system, for the homeschool parent, because the curriculum's out there. They're already going to give you the rest. Right. Yeah. And, and just replacing another curriculum, which a lot of parents do, you're still going to just have the gaps and you're still going to miss out on all the understanding that we were talking about earlier too. And you're just going to be beating the same dead horse, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, I like I like that saying, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think our education system can be compared to that a lot, <laughs> but um, sometimes, yeah. But sometimes, yeah. And but but this was the interesting part about the data, Peggy, is that. Uh, so when uh, I had two charts, I was going to bring, bring them, but like, this was not the topic. Uh, but the second chart kind of shows that the education system works if the student understands the teacher. So like, mm. it's a breakdown of like the percentile at which the student enters at age six and where they are at age 12 or 15, uh, percentile wise, and then broken down by income. And it's the, it's the top income ranges that are kind of moving up. They're not doing great, but they're moving up on average. So that shows you that, Hey, well, they came in better equipped to understand the teacher. And so the teacher was able to uh, afford some difference. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's important in homeschool as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it truly is. And as parents, we're sometimes really confused about what we're even teaching because um, we're just buying the curriculum and expecting the curriculum to do the work. And yet there's that, connect that we have to have with the child 
to, to make that happen, like you were talking about. Um, had a question, and now it's completely left my mind. But hopefully I'll come up with it. That happens to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day. Um, yeah. But, um, hmm. Anyways. So, you know what? Yeah, I, I've really appreciated all this this topic and um, the conversation around around this because we do get kids that are extremely frustrated and we expect repeating what we're doing to to fix that situation and and yet you know we're like we were talking about at the beginning and I, I just um, I think repetition is a valid strategy mm-hmm. yeah. But, I mean, it's it's ultimately what the school uses, how we learn math, right? Like, I mean, right. you and I learned this the same way as everyone else, right? We mm-hmm. repeated it until we got it. But there is a better way. That's that's the story is there is a better way. Yeah, yeah. And and for kids that, that struggle, um, I think their brains, have, have you noticed this, that kids who have learning differences actually grasp onto to these different teaching techniques much quicker well yeah i mean so all children have the capability to learn language um so we've had people come to our facebook on the comments section and just they just kind of like well what about this kind of child what about that kind Mm, of child that's a very good question yes so you know ultimately what i said was you know helen keller had the capability to learn language so i'm 100 percent sure your child also has the capacity to do it Mm-hmm. You have to believe in them. That's kind of yes. maybe if I were to give you the one biggest tip on how to be the best coach for your child is mm-hmm. you have to believe in them. You have to tell them you believe in them. Ultimately, you've got to make them believe in themselves. They have to think they can't. If they think they can't, well, then they're never going to. Yeah. Yeah. They, they only rise to the bar that we set for them. And if they think they can't reach any further, they're not going to strive for it. That's, that's unfortunately very true. I think I just heard from, I don't remember who shared this with me, but they said that um, they, they actually switched around a classroom at one point and all the kids who were failing, they, they told them they were the smartest learners and the kids who were, were doing good, they told them that they were in the remedial group and they actually both lived up to those expectations. The smart <laughs> learners actually went down and the, the struggling learners went up. Um, so there's, there's so much truth in that. And I think we we forget that we we aid in that, like we were talking about kind of at the beginning, is that um, it's about our response to those those frustrations, those meltdowns, and and how are we either building our child up or tearing them down in that, and and helping them either understand yeah, that mistakes are part of the learning process. Um, so, so yeah. yeah. So as we Please um, summarize up. Um, do you have any last comments that you have to share? No, gosh, I can't think of anything right now. I, I feel like we yeah. talked about a lot, but like this yeah. is this is the crux of it. So whoever's uh, getting the benefit of seeing this is hopefully, I mean, yeah, this is the crux of what the system does for you. A, a lot of it, a lot mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, the system can't believe in the child for you, but. It doesn't have intent. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Nobody can parent for parents. <laughs> that, that is true. But but definitely check out Elephant Learning at elephantlearning.com. And, um, and 
you're one of our partners now. So, so that's awesome. We run our website and we're excited about that. And, um, just excited about the, the, this different approach to math that you're offering to homeschooling families and, and even families that don't homeschool, um, just to help them, their children to fill in those gaps like we were talking about. Um, and, and I appreciate now, the opportunity yeah. for being here. Yeah, yeah. Glad it worked out for both of us on our trips. <laughs> so, yep, and the, the internet was good this time. So last time I was uh, broadcasting from a hotel, it was pretty bad. So I'm glad that it worked out well because, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's worked out well for both of us, so I'm glad too. Yes, exactly. So and I just want you viewers to know that um, we didn't have a sponsor for tonight's um, broadcast, but um, this broadcast was um, supported by viewers like you who donate to our nonprofit. And you can learn more about that by visiting our website at spedhomeschool.com if you'd like to become a donor partner and um, continue to support our outreach to parents who homeschool children with exceptional learning needs. So, um, yeah, well, thanks again, Adidia. I I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I always love talking about math. <laughs> and, um, and what a refreshing approach for parents to learn about, because I think we, we think we're going to fix something by doing the same thing over again, which I, I guess, what do they call that? Um, insanity? <laughs> it's like the definition of insanity. Or something. Yes, exactly. And, and we don't realize that we're doing it. So we, we've got to change things up. And um, so thank you for opening our eyes to that. And thank you for, you know, delving into something completely new with, um, with your own career to, to help so many families. It's, it's gotta be rewarding for sure. I'm just happy that I could use the skills I've picked up over life to help a student. If I don't, hundred thousand, and years of math. I don't know what the current numbers are. I've been saying. That's awesome. <laughs> Very cool. Well, for those of you that watch our broadcast on a weekly basis, um, just know that for the next four weeks, I will not be on live. We actually have pre-recorded sessions and interviews with homeschool moms who have home just their their learning experiences in the first year of homeschooling a child with special needs. It's um, part of our Sped Homeschool Awareness Month in July that we do every year. So, um, so definitely stay tuned to those premiere videos that will be coming up on our YouTube channel and, and check those out. But um, I'll be back at the end of July when I'm finally back home after being on the road for six and a half weeks. <laughs> That'll be nice. Um, but until then, thanks everybody for joining us. Thank you again, Dr. Didia. And, um, and um, we, um, we appreciate you, you joining us tonight and we'll see you all next time. Thank you. Yeah, bye everybody. I'm Dr. Lauren DeVille, a practicing naturopathic physician in Tucson, Arizona. In my podcast, Christian Natural Health, my guests and I discuss topics ranging from nutrition, sleep, hormone balancing, and exercise to specific health concerns like hair loss, anxiety, and hypothyroidism. I'll also interweave biblical principles as they apply throughout the podcast because true health is body, mind, and spirit. Listen to Christian Natural Health for free at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcast platform.